All right, folks, we are welcoming you back to Carolina Conservatives. We are preachers with a punch here. We talk about everything that is uncensored, unfiltered, and unashamed. We are not afraid to present the gospel of Jesus Christ straight up, straight down, and we are going to be giving it to you just as broad and bold as we possibly can. I am Dr. Nathan Street. I'm Pastor Alan Mashburn. Today we have Dr. Fred Daniel with us again. He's becoming a regular. And we have a special, special uh, guest all the way from Texas, Dr. Gary Miller. And uh, I'm going to have Fred to say a little bit more about Dr. Miller. Uh, I'll be honest, Fred is the, uh, he's the spoke, he's the hub in the wheel because through Fred. wheel within the wheel. Yeah, through Fred, I met Gary. I met uh, Nathan. And so he is just the, the kingmaker. Huh. <laughs> well, well, I think uh, I was telling you the other day, um, the real king allowed uh, Gary Miller to walk to my table at Liberty University for an American Renewal Project. I'd never met him. This was August of 18, if I remember, 18 or 19. It's 18, I believe. 18. And uh, I was at a table with 10 people like every other table. And the man, to me, it looked like it's sort of like a Christian in trouble at church and under conviction. It's like the Holy Spirit eyed you and come all the way across the room just to you. And Gary made his way all the way across that huge room. I guess we had 300, 400 people at that meeting. And uh, he came right to my table and said, my name is Gary Miller. Who are you? And we clicked instantly, and uh, the next few days we're on the phone with each other, and uh, it's just gone from there, and I count him one of my dearest friends ever. Uh, the man has been uh, a missionary in Africa. He's been pastor all over Texas and other places. Uh, he's been a college professor, and I guess, the t- I don't even know what the title is, but he is uh, at least the moderator of the American Renewal Project. And uh, I just am glad that the Holy Spirit worked out that quote chance coincidence meeting there. I I have found in my heart that it was later uh, the work of the Lord and for which I am very grateful. And then I was uh, very glad to um, bring Alan into the picture. God, that was sort of a chance meeting as people would say. And, and then uh, Nathan, I met at a, sort of the initiation of the uh, Guilford uh, men's Republican men's club. Mm-hmm. And he had just gotten in big trouble. <laughs> and so I said, Hey, don't quit. And the Lord just sort of bonded us together and had him come preach a few weeks later. And uh, I'm very grateful for the men in this room. Yes. Amen. But Dr. Miller, we, uh, we are just thankful to have you on with us. And I know that Fred just mentioned uh, particularly the American Renewal Project. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know we've all been there, but for our listeners who don't know exactly what that is, uh, tell us a little bit about the American Renewal Project. Well, David Lane is uh, a dear friend of mine. We met when I was a singles pastor at First Baptist Church of Houston, and this goes back to 1980. And David had just recently been saved, came to know Christ, and changed his life completely. And uh, I'll let him tell that story someday. But um, God began to build our friendship. He later became a deacon in one of my churches I pastored in Fort Worth. And uh, we stayed in touch over the years. And uh, we hosted their wedding uh, in our home. Our daughter was a flower girl in their wedding. So we, we've been dear friends since 1980. Cindy came along and uh, did the rest of the finished work that I didn't do as a minister. And uh, she's, she and David have done a great job building a, something in this country that was desperately needed at the time and really no one was doing. And he called it the American Renewal Project. And um, I was doing a prayer conference in uh, Pigeon Forge back in 2005. And David called me, I'm making my way across the parking lot. And he said, uh, could you help me get a group of pastors to meet with the governor of Texas? Um, He said, I'm looking for pastors because he wants to know if he calls for a special session and a marriage amendment to be uh, put before the people that he'd have support. I said, uh, well, yeah, well, where will we meet? He said, we'll be the governor's mansion in Austin. I said, well, 
I know probably about 50 people that are crawl over another 50 to get there. So I think we'll be fine. And um, I hang up and I'm still walking across the parking lot and I get a call from him again. And he said, can you help me get 500? <laughs> that's, that's David Lane. And, um, and I said, I signed on for 50. Where, where, where are we going to get 500 in? When do you want to do this? And it was going to be in like 28 days. Wow. And, um, and I said, well, who's going to pray first you and me or me? Cause I don't have a list. Cause, cause you've, you've ever done this kind of work. If you're going to get 500 in a room, you're going to need 5,000, you know, to reach out to. And, uh, I was slammed immediately and we prayed and, um, 28 days later, we had 500 pastors in a room in Austin Wow! and, uh, and it was off and running and David put them up, uh, for a night in a hotel, really nice hotel in Austin, fed them wow. three meals. We had a singing group that traveled with us and, and had a probably about 10 or 12 speakers. It was in a magnificent program. And, um, and he did those for years. Um, what, what Fred was mentioning back in 2018 or 2019, whichever year that was, was probably the last one we've done. And, uh, David just had a shift in a paradigm in his mind of what this needed to be. And that's what North Carolina became. Um, let's, let's reach out to local church pastors, hold these meetings on a much smaller venue, much less expensive venue and target pastors and bring them in and challenge them to save America by stay behind your pulpits in one sense, but get out into the public square in another sense by getting your people registered to vote and consider running for public office in those grassroots offices. And so, um, North Carolina was a real shifting of gears for all of us. We had never done these things this way. And who knew what a Chick-fil-A box could do for you? And um, we had um, 2,700 pastors participate in those 13 meetings in North Carolina. Mm. And David Lane has, I'm telling you, has a vision for saving America by challenging pastors to preach the word from their pulpits, while at the same time giving them the courage and permission to step out into that public arena and run for local offices. And for a case of many pastors doing it themselves. And we've seen pastors in North Carolina do that. And um, what we pray, and I think without spilling the beans of any way, uh, we'd like to see that done in states all over America. And right mm -hmm. now doors seem to be opening for us in Iowa and New Hampshire, um, Missouri right now where we're working in South Carolina, and there may be others. So, We've got a chance to right now do over 20 meetings in the next six months in several different states. And um, we prayed that by the end of the process of the primaries and the election day, that there'll be another wave of pastors just begin to step in to the process, knowing full well it's too late to run in 2022, but looking to 2024, 2026, and beginning mm -hmm. to keep that momentum going. Because what probably happened in, with the American Renewal Project, uh, we had a great turnout for the support of the marriage amendment in Texas in 2005. It was overwhelming. I mean, the state of Texas went completely red, except for this little blue dot in Austin, Austin. that voted against that marriage amendment. And it was just an amazing sight to see that map. But like pastors, you know, everybody's that I know as a pastor, all they want to do is pastor their people. Want to go get back to business as usual, um, not interested in, in, you know, taking the the political science world onto uh, to their backs. They all went back to their, you know, to their labor as shepherds, uh, you know, in the field, so to speak. And but what happens is the enemy never sleeps and mm -hmm. the enemy never stops. And we learned something from that in 2005. You can have a great victory. But if you don't have some way to sustain these uh, challenges and this encouragement to pastors, then um, it's real easy, you know, to be outplayed on your home court. So that's what the American Renewal Project does. David Lane is a visionary, um, and he says this often, but he says it with integrity. What we do is spiritual, but the byproduct mm. is political. He has never flipped that. And I think what a lot of guys do is they get intensely concerned for their country. Of course we should, but they come at it from the political angle without any spiritual dynamic. 
And if you guys, I know you have have been to these meetings with us around North Carolina, you know that um, you can expect spiritual warfare. Um, Something's going to be going on. We've had to have security at some of these meetings because of threats. The one, one of the meetings we're, we're trying to pull off in Kansas City right now, we've had almost 2,000 fake names registered on our Eventbrite wow. site. And that means my wife has to go and delete those every day by the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these people are staying up till 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, you know, putting in all kinds of grotesque names and, and um, vulgar names and, and addresses and, and they're, they're flirting with blasphemy with what they're actually putting down on uh, paper. So we just called on God to help us to stop this stuff. And we raised the bar on the Eventbrite site registration site to a thousand. So, cause it was easy for them to shut, shut that site down with 200 uh, cause they were able to do that. But with a thousand, they have to stay up a little longer. Yeah. And uh, so after about a week of this, uh, I think their fingers are numb and um <laughs> But uh, we've called on God to help us get through this because you never know where the enemy is going to strike, but you can count on it. They never sleep. Dr. And Miller, it, I, I've got, and I, I hate to interrupt you, but I've got a, okay. I, I've got a pressing question that I know that some people out there are going to be going, isn't this that awful, nasty, terrible Christian nationalism that they're pushing? You know, what does yeah. a pastor, what business <clears throat> Does a pastor or a preacher have in politics? We should stay out of it completely. We shouldn't get involved in that. You're nothing but a bunch of Christian nationalists. What do you say to people who are saying that, including some probably yeah. high name, high profile pastors, <clears throat> J.D. Greer, <clears throat> uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, <clears throat> Beth Moore? I'll call you out. What do you say to those people who are who would say that to you? Well, that, that voice has been around for a while. And it's not their voice. Um, you know, people can become hand puppets of something that they're not even aware it, that they're being used to do. That voice has been around a while. When David stepped into the arena, began to collect some five smooth stones, his own brothers came to him and said, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, shouldn't you be back, you know, keeping the ship, the sheep? I mean, did, did you have, isn't that enough for you? And, uh, and so wow. uh, when God was calling out a champion, his own brothers were uh, trying to push him off the uh, scene of the battle. They didn't want to fight it, but uh, they're afraid he might. So that, that voice, you, you look back upon that, that's been around a while. And, um, and I think we ought to understand what we're up against. That spiritual warfare is, is that voice. We, we can't, it may come through flesh and blood, but if you're going to take on flesh and blood in this, you're going to be playing whack-a-mole all day yeah. long. Uh, because as soon as you knock down one, another one pops up and, and uh, it's pretty easy to get angry about it. And yes, you know, Christian nationalism has become the buzzword to try to uh, play the shame game with pastors that um, who do you think you are? And shouldn't you just stand behind your pulpit and preach the word and stay out of trouble? And, you know, I, I have turned that around and said, this is not Christian nationalism. This is Christian citizenship. And this is nothing we should be ashamed of any more than Paul was ashamed of his Christian citizenship. And Paul, at least on four different occasions, claimed his citizenship under the Roman Empire. And what you get from many of my woke friends, and they are my friends, but I don't take to heart what they say, because I can I can smell the sulfur when it comes out of their breath. It just, this stuff has been around a while. And um, the the deal that we look at in the scripture is if Paul had a death wish, he could have just gone with those boys back to Jerusalem when he was given a chance. And so I think, you know, what I might do is have you just go back there. This is a religious problem. This is not a political problem. You go back to Jerusalem and with these guys and y'all settle that. And Paul said, uh, time out, I appeal to Caesar. And when you think of who he was appealing to at the time, um, you know, we're often said, told that politics is evil, politics is dirty. Could you get any dirtier than Nero? And yeah. he appeals, he takes that Roman citizenship, a citizen of no mean city. He didn't purchase it. He was born in that city and became a Roman citizen of a wicked empire. And of course, the argument from the Lily Whites, you know, that want to say that, you know, we shouldn't get our cloaks dirty, you know, getting in politics, well, my good goodness, you know, I pastored for 40 years 
you know, I've been to a few Baptist business meetings. We know politics. And, um, and in Baptist life, if, if I wanted to clear a room, I'd call a prayer meeting. And if I want to fill a room, I'd call a business meeting. So we know politics. So let's quit pretending the church doesn't have it. And um, what Paul did is he claimed something that God gave him. It was no surprise to God that Paul had Roman citizenship. It's no surprise to God that we have American citizenship. I, I know America is not a perfect nation. I get that. If I live here, I've ruined it for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's not a perfect country. I didn't sue, want to bring that up. But I'm glad yeah, you brought it sue up. Sue me. Yeah. So it's not a perfect country. But what we're up against is people trying to use Christian nationalism to shame us yep, out yep. of pra- practicing our Christian citizenship. Yep. And and I, for one, am not going to buy that. Um, and Right. You know, if uh, they want to shame me, fine. I'm just going to keep telling people they need to register to vote. I'm going to just challenge people to go to that prayer closet because in the prayer closet, you hear from God. In the voting booth, you speak for God. And this is the currency. This is the currency of Christian citizenship. And it's not screaming at the TV. You know, it's not me writing angry text and sarcastic remarks at people, it, it doesn't change a thing. Um, it doesn't wound them. And I just think that we, do, we take the high ground and we do, we use the tools God's given us. Our American citizenship came from God. These rights came from God. He wasn't ashamed to give them to us and we shouldn't be ashamed to use them. Right. And, and that's what the American Renewal Project is all about. What David is trying to do is is not call pastors into something they shouldn't be doing. And he'll often say it's probably true that 98% of pastors in America shouldn't run for local office, but they know people who should. And it's just asking pastors to take the wisdom they have, the God-given insight they have into the biblical issues, teach them to their people, and then challenge them to step from behind the ivory-covered walls and into the public square and make a difference to save America. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not that we need, need another hobby. Th- th- this is to save America. And I believe Christian citizenship plays a huge part in that. Amen. I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, we, we just recently, uh, Alan and I recently had um, conducted a, pod, a podcast episode about uh, you know being involved. What, what's the role of the preachers in politics? And, right. And, you know, and I think that, that it, you just, you hit the nail on the head is that we, we've got to be out there and we've got to be evangelizing our communities and we've got to, uh, you know, those preachers who say that, well, you won't find it in it. But I've, I've actually had this argument with other pastors that said, well, you won't find it in the Bible where, where we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to address the government. Oh, really? You know, is what I say to them. What did Moses do? What did Elijah do? What did Obadiah do? What did Micaiah do? What did Jesus do when talking to the the Pharisees who were the not only the religious leaders, but also the governmental leaders? So, you know, I think it is all rooted and based in pietism. They're wanting to stand up above everybody else and 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 poo-poo and wag their fingers at everybody else. And I just, you know, what I just call them is I call them pansy, panty-waisted preachers that just don't want to do, they don't want to do what God's called them to do and to declare the truth of the word of God. Well, it's a very naive uh, approach because, um, you know, the the Lieutenant Governor of of North Carolina has taught me a great deal just by watching him. Um, You know, you know, liberals never have to apologize for what they don't know, but they don't know so much. And, and it's just one of those things that, that what happens is they look at well, all white people are Republicans, you know, all black people are Democrats. You know, they, they speak in such generalities. They have no idea that that there are people in this country who have they have convictions, you know, convictions that are based upon the word of God. And the lieutenant governor of North Carolina walked into the first meeting that we ever had with him. And he sat down at the table and he just finished uh, presiding over the Senate and he looked exhausted. And he sat down and he said, you know, I thought I'd stepped into a public office as a result of winning an election. He said, you know, it turned out I've stepped into spiritual warfare. And, and from that moment on, um, you know, my heart, and I looked at David Lane's face, um, 
we were in this to help him because this is a man that gets it. We, we understand so much more after spending a year with him. Um, never seen anybody quite like him, but anybody that wants to look at him and, and then make generalities about what African-Americans think needs to sit down and have a conversation with somebody like him. Uh, I learned a lot. And one of the things I learned from him is this challenge to, if pastors aren't going to do anything else but this, Second Timothy, pardon me, First Timothy chapter two, verses one and following, there is an admonition from Paul that we pray for all who are in authority, and there's a promise to that that we might lead quiet and tranquil lives. Well, I, I haven't led one of those. You know, since, you know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago. She was born when Woodrow Wilson was president. You know, never seen much of that. And why are we not praying for all who are in authority? And I've been putting that in front of the people that would come to our meetings. But when he stood up and he said, I'm often accused of hate speech. I don't hate anybody. I pray every day that I might look out my window in heaven and see Joe Biden walking up the steps to my home in heaven, that we might have eternal fellowship together. I pray every day. And he started going to the list of Chuck Schumer. And on and on. By the time he got to Nancy Pelosi, we were having church. Um, <laughs> there were 300 pastors in this room from 20 different denominations. And the look on their face was something like. Wow. I mean, awesome. it, it, Conviction is what it was. Well, I'm that. telling you, I, was, I had it to the core of my being because I pray at Nancy Pelosi. I don't pray for her. Mm. And, and I'm telling you, he is calling. He had the hand of God on him. And he is preaching to preachers, and I didn't know what else to do, but I always asked him permission after every time he spoke, can we pray for you? And, of course, he always said yes, and I asked him to step forward. And I told the pastors, I said, look, I've been challenged the core of my being, and I don't know what else to do but call you to pray. And pray the way he's called us to pray for all who are in authority. I'm going to count to three. And if you'll pray that way, I, I know God will hear us, and we need to pray that way. And I'd count, I barely got to three and the sound in that room was explosive. And it was a, you know, it's, it's Baptists don't often talk like this. It was a Pentecostal moment. I mean, in more ways than one, it wasn't just a feeling because I'm oh. looking at there and, and, and there, yep. there's the independent fundamental Baptist guy. I know him well, and he's standing right next to a church of God boy. I know him well, church of God boys praying the same way he prays at his church if you get my meaning. And, and, and here is this independent Baptist fellow, not saying die heretic, but he's under conviction, calling out to God the way he talks to God. And in that room, there was a unity of the spirit of God right. that I rarely have ever seen in any place I've ever been. Praise now, God. if people tell me I need to stay out of that because that's politics, I was born for this. I was born for this. And and I there was more power of the Holy Spirit in that room than most revival meetings I've ever been in. Wow. Because finally, men of God are calling out to God in the way they talk to God and seeking his direction and seeking his courage to, to step out from behind the pulpits to have an honest to God moment with him so that we might save America. And, and I will do anything I can to support David Lane and the American Rule Project in that effort, because that's what I believe it's going to take. We go into that prayer closet to get honest to God, and we go into that voting booth to speak for God. And somewhere along the way, we will run for offices that he calls us to step into so that good people are making the best decisions for the people that built this country. And if we don't do that, God forgive us. I just think that uh, it's just time to step up. You just hit on, and I'm sorry. I know Alan wants to ask you some questions, but okay. I, 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 but you just hit on something. I've got to, I've got to ask you the question, and because we've dealt with it as well. You go into that voting booth. You, you're going in speaking for God, and you cast a vote for a Democrat who is going to ensure abortion and gay marriage and LGBT and changing your children's gender and and mutilating your children to be trans. You go in and you vote that way because we've got, I'm just going to call him out, we've got Pastor Surehouse who is running for at-large school board here in, uh, right up the road in Greensboro and Guilford County. 
who is the pastor of First Baptist Church on, Friend, in, on Friendly Avenue in Greensboro, who is a Democrat who supports all of this garbage. So you go in there and you vote for that. Are you, are you really a Christian? Are you really using the voice of God to vote, to vote that way? Well, if you're a Christian, you're a misguided one because, um, you know, I, I don't know how else to put that. I'll, I'll let the Lord sort that out as he does. But uh, in my mind, I don't understand that kind of uh, uh, loss of integrity that this is what the word of God says. And this is what I'm going to do if it hair lips the governor. I mean, I don't understand how you come to that point to just completely throw that in God's face when uh, the, the life of a child does not have any more concern for you than that. And the mutilation of a child does not have any more concern for you than that. I don't understand that. Uh, I have learned one thing. Uh, the screaming at guys like that never changes their sense of direction. Mm. It, it just doesn't. I think that's why God says, pray for all who are in authority. Now, me praying for all in authority doesn't mean I have to leave all of them in authority. That's why we get people registered to vote. And believe me, um, our people are not registered to vote. I lost an election in my town, when I ran for city council, I lost it by a, a, a I was told by the, uh, by the mayor of the, at the time, it said, it looks like you may have lost by one vote. I mean, it was that, it was so close. Wow. It was just so close. I went back to my people the next Sunday morning and it had taken us three years to get a building permit. And we still didn't have it because of the good old boy network in a small town. And that's where all politics is, man. It get, it get mm -hmm. its hometown stuff. And, um, and I said to them, you know, I, I asked her permission to run. Um, I was beaten, um, but you know, I'm not going to get beaten next time because we're going to be ready. And, um, but if you voted for me, I'd like for you to stand. I'd like to thank you personally and pray a blessing over you. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that morning. And, um, and so those that were seated, we gave them voter registration cards. So here's, we're going to do this again. We're still in the hunt for this, this seat, because if we don't get this seat, we're not going to have a vote at the table about our build, building uh, permit. And, uh, you know, the next year, nobody ran against me because we were so loaded for bear. Um, and that's what you have to do. You have to back the enemy off. And guys like this, they don't want to lose. But if they think they're going to lose, they won't run. You have to get your people registered to vote. And I'm telling you, if it's a typical Baptist church, they're lying to you. If you're saying, are you registered to vote and they're doing this, you better check them out because they've learned this much. When you're preaching and they're doing this, they get out quicker. And if you're saying something and they're doing this, it takes longer. So they are lying to you. And so you had better check them out. Show me your papers. <laughs> so, it's, um, but that's why these people run. They think they can win. When, when we get our people registered to vote, we bring the troops to the table. Those people don't want to run because they don't like the public humiliation. I mean, who wants that? And I think that's something we're going to have to get used to doing in our church is getting that's these people correct. registered to vote and don't trust anybody. They're not registered. And we'll just have to take the fight to these guys. That's the only way I know it. Screaming at them doesn't help any. No, doesn't turn right. them around. Just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. This seg segues right into uh, what I believe would be a good time to tackle the uh, wokeness in the church. Okay. You know, back in early nineties, when I started preaching, I know you were 1890s when you started preaching, <laughs> You know me so. Uh, <laughs> but in the early nineties, when I started preaching, I heard pastors say, you know, it won't be long that we'll have to have church security. And I just laughed because that was not what I saw, but boy, here we are and yeah. we have mm -hmm. church security. Um, so much that I heard them, I'll say, and I'm using the term loosely, prophesy of what could come to pass. We're seeing come to pass. Yeah. We're seeing people leave the word. We're seeing mainline denominations um, leave the word of God and stand up and call us what we've already dealt with, Christian nationalists. Even the former president now of the Southern Baptist Convention said, we are not called to save America. No one ever said that we were, uh, but he made that clear and has uh, various different stances on the LGBT, XYZ plus whatever. But deal, uh, you're, uh, you've taught on the seminary level. Uh, help, us, help us, give us a, a, a boardwalk as to how that transpired and where we are today. I mean, it seems like it just, it just has, has full-blown blossomed in our churches? Well, uh, 
you know, I gave body and soul to that, uh, call it reserve, uh, conservative resurgence or conservative takeover, depending on which side yeah. uh, that you were on. And uh, I gave body and soul to that. I, I, because I had, I had gone to Baylor university and, and um, you know, I, I love my school, but uh, they weren't taking the word of God as seriously as they should have. I remember my first uh, Bible class there was in uh, old Testament and um, professor was um, he was downgrading the, the miracles, the, the 10 plagues and, and everything that God did for the people of Israel. And uh, I was raised by a very conservative father and, and a Baptist preacher and I was 18 years old and raised my hand and I said, you know, I'm, maybe I'm missing something here, but are, are you um, are you saying these aren't miracles? And he gave this, um, and, and I have since seen this many, many times in academia. It was a, a paternalistic smile. It was a, a, a kind of winsome words um, and uh, looked out at the class and he said, well, uh, class, I, I, I think if he needs to call the miracles, we'll let him call them miracles, won't we? <laughs> and and everyone laughed. And I looked around the room and I think, you know, you went to the same Sunday school classes I went to. I mean, I'm, I'm looking around, you know, everybody's now in this setting where we don't want to be ashamed of what we know we believe, but people who have a, a you know, they, they have credentials, they have um you know, they didn't steal them. They earned them. These were earned doctorates that were standing in front of us. But but it was, you know, it, it was a downgrade of the intensity um, and, and a downgrade of the kind of trust you could really put in the word. And, uh, and so things just take their course. And that course being one degree off course is all it takes. And one degree off, my dad was a navigator in World War II. And so one degree off course, uncorrected for periods of time, on and on, on and on, rather than being on course and staying on course, you over time, you reach a point of no return. We may be past a point of no return. I don't know. But I know this. I don't have anywhere else to go uh, while I'm here. So while I'm here, you know, call it Save America, if you please. I, I'm not offended by the term. Uh, I'm sorry, J.D. is. But it's one of those things that... Um, we have seen things change in America when there have been spiritual awakenings that bring the not just the church, but the body politic back on course. And there are periods of time, sometimes lasting decades, where the people of faith take seriously, once again, the authority of the Word of God, and, and they quit wordsmithing things, which is what the, the woke crowd is they're masters. Oh, you misunderstood what I said. Um, you, I didn't mean what you think I said when you heard me say it. What I mean is, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, uh, okay. They're using, they're using the same vocabulary, but they've got a different dictionary, and you're too stupid yeah. to be able to know how to read our dictionary. And so they use the right words and they're moving in the wrong direction. And, and it just keeps going, going, going. And so that's where we are today. Highly intelligent men and women who have earned their degrees studying Greek and Hebrew, fine, but they're believing less and less of it yeah. <laughs> every year. And I, I don't understand that because it gets us nowhere, but off course. And, you know, I'm uncomfortable with what the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't comfort me at all. Yeah. I'll be candid with you. Many times the word of God is like an ice water enema. It is not something <laughs> I want to do. I, I look at the word of God. And I, don't, I don't want a piece of that today. I, I, I No, thank you. And um, well, that's why the, the book is dust covered on many places in people's yeah. homes. Um, you know, bring mama the book, you know, mama loves best. And the kid walks up with a Sears and Roebuck catalog. I mean, the kid has never seen them open the Bible at home. Now they drag yeah. their carcasses off to church, but they have never seen a family open the word of God at home and saying, you know, we can get our life, need to get our family back on course. Amen. And that is something that I, I count on every day that spiritual awakening will begin in my heart. And if it spills into my heart, then it moves into my relationship with my wife with my kids, with my church, with my community. 
and into my country because the you can't stop a movement of the Spirit of God. You Amen. can try to ignore it, but it's like putting on foster grants in the middle of a nuclear holocaust. You are not going to be able to stop a spiritual awakening. And I, you know, I just pray to God that what we're a part of in this process of I'll go ahead and say it, saving America, that we didn't go, we don't get so full of ourselves and our own righteous indignation mm. yeah. that we forget to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because uh, it, it, you know, when it all gets down to what's going to happen if I save America and I lose my wife, lose my kids, lose my family, because I, I've just become an angry old man. I'm 72 years old, and oh. uh, and I mean, I know I look great, but I've got more years on me you know, than, than Mitchell and tires. I, I just think that what we've got to be a part of is having the integrity to hold up the word of God. As Alan says, you know, how did we get here? Well, you know, we pay, we play fast and loose with, um, you know, forgiving everybody doesn't apply to me. I can hold this grudge against that guy, you know, because, you know, um, you know, I kind of deserve to feel this way about them. And it just starts that way. And the Holy spirit, takes his hand off what we're doing. I asked the guys, I'm a product of the Jesus revolution in the seventies. And, um, you know, I had the long hair and the whole bit that went with that. And the Lord's taken my hair, but he's not taken my heart, uh, for awakening. And I asked the old timers who were part of that. I said, what happened? Why was it so short lived? And they said, well, you know, when we started taking credit for it and writing our books about it, God took his hand off of it. And, and we were in something that was moving and now we had to push it and mm. we're too tired to do that anymore. I'm telling you, it's, it's wearisome to try to keep up appearances when we no longer have the power of the spirit of God. And our country is in that shape because our church is in that shape. It's our families are in that shape. And um, I just pray to God that we, we recapture a genuine love for the word of God that we will not kid ourselves into thinking that we have more intimacy with God than a lost man if we will not pray to him. And so my wife and I travel around the country talking about talk less, pray more, because um, you can't kid a kidder. I've done this a long time. Uh, I was ordained in 1970, and, um, and I'm done all I'm going to do prayerless. I, I mean, if the word of God says, you know, pray for all those who are in authority, I don't have to like them to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have to, and I certainly don't have to keep them in office, but, but somewhere, somewhere in that truth, there is a key that unlocks a door to that peace and tranquility that we long to have. And if we ignore that, we ignore that at our peril. And I just, you know, I'm pushing the ball up the court in Missouri right now, and it's the show me state for a reason. I mean, it's it's been a hard, long slug yeah. uh, up the hill to get pastors uh, concerned about this stuff. Believe me, I don't do this with a prayerless attitude that, hey, man, I was really a big deal in North Carolina. You guys ought to be impressed with me. You know, they don't care. And as we go from state to state to state, if we don't have the power of God moving into the hearts of people, you know, we're going to be holding a lot of Chick-fil-A boxes in our hands wondering what happened. And I'm praying to God that one last time before I die, I'm part of something only he can get credit for. And I believe it's coming. I believe it with all my heart, but I know that for it to come in my heart, <clears throat> then I'm going to have to stop hating people. And I'm going to have to start praying for people in a, at a level that I have never done. And, um, and the Lieutenant governor of North Carolina taught me that. And uh, I'm not going to lose that lesson. I'm not going to forget that lesson. Cause I'm not going back to that woodshed again. Um, no. That's something that um, God had me in that room for a reason. And what y'all are up against in North Carolina is going to take a long, hard slog. I pray to God that you have victories this election cycle. And I believe you will because you've worked hard at it. You know, God bless you. You worked hard at it, but it never ends. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we have a limited amount of energy. We have a limited amount of time. And, um, and I think what, what happened to us in this uh, resurgence that we had in the Southern Baptist Convention, we didn't pass on that passion to the next generation. They took the positions 
but they lost the passion. And we're back where we, we were when we started back in the 80s, because you can have the position, but without the power, you know, you don't you don't have the passion uh, that needs to happen in that position. And I'm praying that what we, we get it right this time on the political level and at the denominational level, but most of all, that we call out to God to do something only he can do, because I don't care who gets credit for it. I, 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 my resume is long enough. I don't need my name on anything else, uh, but I sure want to be part of something God's doing. And I've been to all the meetings I want to go to where God didn't show up. And um, you know, what I want to be a part of is what God does and give him the glory for it. Because the old timers tell me when you take credit for it, then you got to push it. And uh, we don't have the power to do that on the Holy Spirit of God does. And, you know, that day that the lieutenant governor made that statement about playing, praying for Schumer and Pelosi and all of that. And in that room, such power and conviction over what he said. And looking at the history of North Carolina, I've been here all my life. And in the 60s, late 50s, 60s, maybe a tad of the 70s, there was some fervency in our churches. But we had major prayer times. We had mm -hmm. prayer time before each service. We had prayer room uh, set aside. We had, had an open prayer room at my church that was open 24 seven right. and people came in and signed in. And it's been the mid seventies since I've seen that kind of fervency until now. And, and as you said, uh, cross denominational, we, we became Christian brothers again right. and working together. And, uh, I found myself hoping for the first time in a long time. And, and because of what American Renewal did, the last number I heard, 162 pastors running for office in North Carolina this, this term. And there's about 10 more that I know that didn't sign those slips. And God's at, at work here. Yes. And uh, I, I have been so moved that I went back and pulled your book out again and started rereading Talk Less, Pray More. Uh, I have failed in that area. And... God used you and the events of these last couple of years and, and our lieutenant governor. I asked his wife, Yolanda, I'm probably closer to her than I am to him. And I asked her about six weeks ago, I said, tell me, is Mark Robinson really the true Christian that we think we're seeing? And she said, you had better believe it. <laughs> she said every day he's in his Bible, he's praying. And uh, I want to be that kind of man fully. Yes. Amen. And I want to see our leaders there. And I'm finding great hope. I have been shocked. Uh, Nathan can attest to this. I'm sure Alan can as well. But going to Republican events and then a little bit of re rebellious Republicans events and things. One thing has changed this time. And unsaved people are asking these two and myself to pray at these events. Mm -hmm. The unbelievers are asking for prayer. Yes. Yes. And, and I think you're just right on target with getting in the book and in the prayer. Yes. We, we, are, I think we're seeing a revival and, yes. and you know, and, and just, just in the, the little bit of time that we've got, we've got left. We, uh, we do want to give opportunity, uh, Dr. Miller, you're where can some of our listeners find your book, talk less and pray more. It's the website, talklesspraymore.com, and um, we'll be glad to get that to them. And um, it's pretty simple. And it, this is about talk less, pray more uh, through the prayers of Jesus. And uh, it's just trying to teach people to pray the way Jesus prayed. And it's really pretty, just pretty basic. Uh, he wasn't kidding when he told us in Luke 11, one, 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 one disciple came to him. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he poured out. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. And a big part of that is forgiving. And, um, you know, uh, if I have, uh, if I don't have forgiveness in my heart towards somebody that has hurt me, um, I'm probably not going to be expecting my prayers to be answered. I believe they're heard. Um, but, uh, but he makes a very clear point there that, you know, forgiveness is a huge part, uh, was a huge part of his prayer life, even on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So if you're going to pray like, pray like Jesus, you can expect some pain and through it, you got to pray through the pain to get to that kind of intimacy with the, with Jesus that 
can only come through that kind of pain. And, um, and nothing quite like his voice in the garden saying, Father, um, yeah, I'd prefer this cup maybe pass from me. Yeah. He was honest to God. I mean, uh, he wasn't making this up. Um, but, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, I'm often asked, how long should I pray? Well, pray long enough to get there, because that's where <laughs> that's what the whole essence of prayer is, that um, I'm not giving him my wish list, although prayer can sometimes be translated wish. You're putting before him the wishes of your heart, but you get to the point where, you know, that sounded good to me, but if that didn't sound good to you, I'm trusting you. Uh, not my will, but thy will be done. And um, I just, uh, this is a whole lot simpler than we've made it. I, I, you know, it, it's interesting. The old boy didn't ask, it could have been a woman, but didn't didn't ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. So it's not A, B, C, D's, one, two, three. He taught us to pray. And, and you know, um, you know, when you pray most, um, I know when I pray most, and it's usually when things aren't going my way. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't need to know how to pray. I know how to pray. I, you know, I, I can pray when uh, when I'm in trouble. And uh, sometimes, you know, he lets us have all we want of what we think is the right thing to do. And, you know, you need my help yet? And you know, we, come, uh, <laughs> we come to him. And I don't ever feel shame for doing that. Um, but uh, I'm a slow learner. At 72, I hope I can kind of pick up the pace a little bit. But um, that's what the book is about, is just keeping this real simple. And uh, praying the way Jesus prayed—it's not hard. It's not complicated. I tell people it's just hard, yeah. and we need to do it until it's not hard anymore. My goodness, do we ever need prayer more now than we uh, exactly, than, probably than we? And if we had had prayed more before, we might not be in the shape that we are in. I That's mean, a good word. The, la- the last research, last statistics I saw was most people pray less than a minute per day, and most pastors pray about seven minutes on average per day, which is. Um, which is pretty shocking when it comes comes down to it. But but uh, you know, folks, we are here at Carolina Conservatives. We are praying for you, and we are praying that the Lord will just sweep across not only North Carolina but across the United States. Let His Holy Spirit just permeate our buildings, our worship centers, our homes, our families, and that He will shake us once again. Absolutely. And if you are one of those pansy pastors that is that's listening to us somewhere, grow a spine. This has been an encouraging word today. I have been more encouraged today than I have been in a long time. And if this has not lit a fire under you to go out and start doing what God has called you to do, then I don't know what else can do it. It's going to take a stick of dynamite to get you to move, to get you up and get you moving. Hopefully we won't get to that point, but it's time for us to grow a spine and start going out in the public square once again and declaring what thus saith the word of God. And that's what we got to do today. And folks, we thank Pastor uh, Dr. Fred Daniel for being uh, along with us, the pastor at Brookhaven Baptist Church in Greensboro. We also thank Dr. Gary Miller for being with us. I, you know, Alan, what do you think? Well, we've gone over today, but it's it seemed like we just started. And if yeah. you're going to go over on anything, you really need to go over on prayer. Amen. Um, I've been convicted and I'm being totally serious. We kid around a lot because we have good camaraderie, but um, this is not kidding ground. Right. We have to pray. And yes. I'm convicted because uh, me too. the Lord has showed me my own, my own uh, frailties, failures, and so forth. But before we leave, I know I know we're over, but Dr. Miller, you you mentioned something about praying through the pain. When I was at Tennessee Temple, I worked for Dr. Robertson, and I sat at his feet as much as I could. Dr. Robertson knew all the players that you grew up reading, George W. Truett, and all those great great preachers. One of the men he mentioned a lot to me was Dr. Hyman Appleman. Oh my, yeah. Hyman Appleman. And he would preach for Dr. Robertson at Highland Park and Tennessee Temple numerous occasions. He would read books and he'd get finished with them and send them on Dr. Robertson. But nevertheless, Dr. Robertson had him scheduled and he went to his hotel room to pick him up. His door was ajar, but before he ever got to the hotel room, he heard the voice of Hyman Appleman. The closer he got, he realized that he was praying. Mm. He looked in the door because he opened it up and it looked like he was praying under stress. 
And these are his exact words. He said, Alan, what I saw, I've never seen before and I've never seen again. And if you remember the overstuffed chairs that were in the hotels back then, I don't, but I'm sure they were big. I'm sure they were heavy. Dr. Hyman Appleman had those, had one of those chairs holding it up by the legs on his knees. He was holding that chair over his head and he was praying and sweat profusely going down his head. But Dr. Robertson left, he left him to it, but he left an indelible mark on him. And that story I've never forgotten. And you brought that back to my mind when I heard that. Uh, that exactly explains a little bit, just a microcosm of how our Savior prayed in the garden. Absolutely. Wow. I'm in John chapter 17 for five weeks. I am amazed in that chapter of prayer. Jesus prayed for the disciples. He prayed for us. Yes. And he prayed almost nothing for himself mm -hmm. the night before he goes to the cross. And a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, Gary and I were talking and he said, I told him I was reading uh, Oswald Chambers and I said, the man's killing me every day. And he said, wait till you get to May, May the third or fifth or somewhere along there. And Gary made this quote, discernment is God's call to intercession, never to fault finding. Mm. And I ran across that a couple of days ago. And the next day, Chambers said to me, vicarious intercession means we deliberately substitute God's interest in others for our natural sympathy with them. And we just got to get the focus where it belongs again. Absolutely. Amen. I hope I have witnessed at that meeting with the lieutenant governor and Gary. And I you were there, Alan, I think. Um, I hope we see the beginning of an awakening. Absolutely. I've not read your book. I plan on ordering it now. Definitely. Yep. My wife uh, loves your post. We all read your posts daily mm -hmm. and you bless our hearts. I trust yes. that you'll put them in a book one day. My wife thinks you're a genius. Uh, I said, well, do you, did you read what I posted? Well, no, <laughs> but Gary Miller is a genius. Okay. <laughs> all right. Fine. But, uh, too, so. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, we do appreciate you coming on. You've been a blessing and Thank you continue. You, and we definitely want you to come back. I'd be honored to do so. Thank you, men. Absolutely. Right. Folks, that's a wrap for us this for this week. Welcome. Thank you very much for being here at Carolina Conservatives. We are Preachers with a Punch. I'm Dr. Nathan Street. And I'm Pastor Alan Mashburn. If you share one video or one podcast, do this episode. This one. Everyone needs to hear and watch it. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.